0: Our scripture passage this evening is Luke chapter 15, Pew Bible page 1623. 1623. Very familiar passage. As you're turning there, let me remind you that we've been looking at what are called the nine arts of spiritual conversations, nine simple actions, simple ways in which we can begin to live evangelistically. It's not a program. It's more about the way in which we look at the life that we are already living and ask ourselves, uh, what are characteristics of God, of Christ, that we can begin to embody that provide opportunity for speaking into people's lives concerning the things of God, the things of Christ, things of sin, the things of salvation, and so forth. Read with me Luke chapter 15. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that's Christ. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. And says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Maybe some of you get the uh, Ligonier publication and call, uh, entitled Table Talk. Table Talk magazine. It's a publication of Ligonier that's designed for conversations around the table concerning the short articles and lessons that are in it. But maybe some of you don't know where that name, Table Talk, comes from. Well, the famed father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, considered hospitality to be of central importance to the growth and health of the body of Christ and its members. He and his wife, Kathy, were legendary for their open-door hospitality. For the great house was always full to the brim, cites Luther historians, preserved Smith, Ph.D., and Herbert Percival Gallinger. Many of the conversations held in his home and around his table were recorded in Luther's work, Table Talk. Of that volume, the Christian Classics Ethereal Library notes, In 1517, Martin Luther's 95 theses sparked the Protestant Reformation by challenging the practices of the Roman Catholic Church and the authority of the Pope. Many of Luther's books were ordered to be burned as a result of Luther's dissent. Despite this fact, a copy of Martin Luther's Table Talk, then entitled Divine Discourses, was found preserved under the foundations of a German citizen's home in 1626. Table Talk contains a series of informal conversations Luther shared with his students and colleagues in his home. The topics of these conversations range from religious doctrine and history to instructions regarding government, church, and the academic university. Apparently, they weren't told that the two things you aren't supposed to talk about, religion and politics, because that's what they talked about. In his book, The Hospitality Commands, Alexander Strong. Concludes of Luther's hospitable efforts these words, Martin Luther proved that the table is a splendid pulpit from which to teach God's truths and disciple God's people. If you want new Christians to grow, open your home and share your love and knowledge with them. Your home is the best tool you have to enhance loving Christian community. Your local church can become a friendlier, more loving community if you and others you know Consistently open your homes to one another. And I may add to Alexander's words here that uh, the table is also a splendid evangelism tool. A tool for evangelism. We've talked so far about noticing others, praying for them, listening to them, investing your time and getting to understand them and know them, asking uh, important questions that help us to begin to grow in our relationship with them. We've talked about how love is the motivator of all these things. But today we're going to be talking about welcoming others. Our theme this evening, the grace and love of God. In Christ leads us to welcome others into our lives. The grace and love of God in Christ leads us to welcome others into our lives. And this welcoming attitude or disposition, I believe, provides opportunities to live evangelistically. So we're going to be looking at three points the importance of welcoming, two, God welcomes us, and number three, aspects of welcoming. So it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, I'm going to try to convince you that uh, welcoming is an essential part of the Christian life. I'm going to show you the theological foundation for that. And then I'm going to give you some pointers or some uh, application points that might help us begin to practice the art of welcoming. So let's look. At point number one, the importance of welcoming. The importance of welcoming. Welcoming is simply the act of showing unconditional acceptance to people without any expectations of reciprocation. So unconditional acceptance... without any expectation of reciprocation. Uh, That is to say, if you welcome somebody over to your house for dinner, but you say, okay, now it's your turn, that's not really welcoming. That's more like a favor. When you welcome people into your life and your activities, you're you're physically embodying a, a reflection of Christ's love acceptance. So this is a, a reflection of Christ. It's being salt. It's being liked in the world. In fact this is. Uh, a large reason why. It went from 12 disciples. In the early church. To uh, the uh, biggest religion. In the Roman Empire. It was largely because. Of. Christian hospitality, or welcoming and loving others. Uh, and this is attractive to others. This is appealing, I should say. In a culture and society that has become so divisive, so choose your side, so uh, we can't get along if we have different opinions. There used to be a time when we could get along if we disagreed on Certain things. It's like that doesn't work anymore. If you don't stand with me, you're against me. But this is attractive to others. When people experience the warmth of our welcome, they're drawn to it as they would be to a light in the darkness or a fire on a chilly night. Rosaria Butterfield is an author who's began, begun to discuss the importance of of Christian hospitality in our day and age. Uh, I brought this book up here. I'm doing a plug for Judith back there. This is uh, from the library. You can check this out if you want. It's Rosario Butterfield's latest book. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. Uh, I believe she's someone who's personally experienced that radically ordinary hospitality. She was um, a lesbian, a feminist, who came to faith in Christ largely because of the welcome that she received by a pastor and his wife in her city of Syracuse. And uh, she said something funny. She said, He invited me over and he did the two things that Christians are never supposed to do. He didn't share the gospel with me and he didn't invite me to church. And she says, but that was important because it showed me that I was not a project. I was a person. It showed me that he was willing to invest time in our relationship and getting to know me more personally. She's a convert to Christianity out of the LGBTQ community. Something that she is particularly uh, uh, good at is showing how... In very many ways, the LGBT community is better at expressing what community should look like than the Christians are. She said there was real community in that sinful lifestyle. A place where someone's house was always open to others who may be uh, suffering. Uh, She believes that hospitality, though, is the front line of evangelism. The front line of evangelism... In our post-Christian society. Why did she say that? Uh, As our culture moves more and more to the idea of persecution becoming a real possibility. Where is it that we are going to do our evangelism if it's not in our homes? She said it this way. Your neighbor can't fire you for sharing the gospel as you pray before a meal. And it is, after all, your food he is eating. Welcoming someone is a bridge. It functions as a bridge. It brings them from a vulnerable outsider position to being connected in a relationship. Maybe many of you can, can think of or consider a situation or a circumstance that you were in where everything was foreign to you. Everything was different. Uh, maybe you uh, came to a new school. You didn't have friends. Maybe you went on a, a Christian summer camp and you were the only person there and you didn't know anybody else. Maybe you began a new job and you felt uncomfortable because you were unfamiliar with anybody and it seemed like they were all already familiar with each other and in these cliques and groups. And maybe you could think of that and consider that there was somebody who bridged that gap, who had a welcoming disposition, who came to you and said, Hi, what's your name? Are you a new employee here? And begun... That relationship. When you accept and include someone, you lay the initial groundwork. This bridge functions as the groundwork or the foundation by which you're going to begin to build this relationship with them into a thriving and growing relationship. And uh, it doesn't just happen at your house. Welcoming that is. Uh, It's more a disposition. It's more a disposition of openness. You've probably experienced this too. There are certain people that have an openness, a welcoming element to them. They're they're, They're enjoyable to be around. You never feel like you're you're a nuisance or a bother to them. They're always willing to spend the time to hear you out, to spend time with you, and to let you into their lives. Let's look at how God welcomes us. Two. What's the... Theological foundation for this. So this welcoming attitude that we're called to reflect is a part of being made in the image of God. And if it's part of being made in the image of God, it's because God himself is uh, expressing this. Finds its basis in the character and the nature of God. He welcomed us in preparing the beautiful Garden of Eden for mankind to enjoy his company in. So this is a Part of God's nature. This welcoming aspect. He uh, welcomed us as the great shepherd presented in Psalm 23. A welcoming and warm caretaker who leads us beside still waters. Lays us down in fields of green. And we see its fullness in the Savior's embrace of sinners of every stripe. So... Uh, in God's nature, then on full display in Christ. That is to say, that in Christ we see the fullness of the welcoming characteristic and the welcoming nature of God. God is the one who takes the initiative in drawing people near, He's the one that stepped toward us in Christ. His ultimate welcome comes by means of his ultimate sacrifice. God welcomes us into his presence through the pierced hands, feet, and side of Christ, our Savior. And this is where I want to talk about Luke chapter 15. This is where Luke 15 comes in. Because we need to take notice of what's being spoken of here. And the reason why Christ gives these three Sequential parables, right? About the lost sheep, about the lost coin, about the lost son. And Reading in verses 1 and 2, we, we determine that what Christ is getting after here has to do with whether the people of God should have a welcoming disposition, strangely enough. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. So here's an accusation from the, the religious leaders of Christ's time. He welcomes sinners. Ugh. You can just hear the self-righteousness in that uh, statement. But then Jesus goes and he tells them a parable of a sheep that's lost. The shepherd goes and he gets the one sheep and he leaves the hundred sheep behind. He tells a parable of the lost coin. A woman finds the lost coin and invites her friends over to celebrate this lost coin. And then this, of course, very popular and familiar parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, we hear. And maybe often when you are told about the prodigal son, the emphasis is upon the son who leaves and squanders all of the father's wealth. That is the part of this story that tugs on our heartstrings, isn't it? Because we're like, I'm the prodigal son. I I was sinning. I, I turned away from God and, and, and God called me back to himself, and God embraced me, and God welcomed me back like the Father does in the story. But there's a twist in the parable of the prodigal son that is meant to catch the attention of Jesus' audience. Remember, parable of the lost sheep, the man finds the sheep. Over, parable of the lost coin, the woman finds the coin, rejoices. Over, parable of the prodigal son, the father finds his lost son, rejoices, and then there's something else. And what is that something else? It's the older son, isn't it? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost. And is found. See, the older brother in the parable of the lost son are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who muttered, This man Christ welcomes sinners and eats with them. The parable of the prodigal son is for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, it's not for the prodigal sons. Because Christ here is criticizing. His people, Israel, who have become so self-righteous that they do not see their need to love sinners as Christ is loving them. That they look upon welcoming sinners and eating with horrible outcast people as something that disqualifies Christ rather than expresses the character of God. And here's the reality that needs to be pointed out. Welcoming, hospitality, however you want to put it, is expressed out of humility. A humility that says, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We are both made in the image of God in need of companionship and fellowship and love and care. And I open my home to you not as someone who is better than you, who is seeking to show you all my wonderful things, as someone who is embracing you as a fellow human being who is suffering under the curse that has fallen on this world and who is here to love you so much, to tell you about the Christ who has reversed the curse. Welcoming means we can't be like the older brother. We must be like Christ, who came to seek and save the lost, who came for the sick, who came for sinners like you and me. When we're willing to welcome, we reflect the Father's unconditional acceptance. We reflect His embrace of us despite our unworthiness. We understand that we're supposed to be welcoming, but many of us struggle. What does that look like? We don't know how to be welcoming. We don't know what to do. Uh, For some of us, this comes naturally. It, It fits very neatly with our personality. Uh, But for others, most of us, I would say, it's something that requires practice and intentionality. Uh, Practicing and being intentional about being welcoming is going to require some work. How can we become those welcoming people who provide the kind of full embrace that we all desire when we uh, are in new situations? And this leads to the three simple aspects of welcoming that can help us focus on growing in this area. This is our final point, and um, hopefully this will help us begin to see ways that we can uh, live this out, maybe in very simple ways at first. Aspects of welcoming. There are uh, basically three things, okay, and they kind of sound a little weird, but A little funny, but bear with me, okay? Number one, your face. Number two, your space. And number three, your place. Your face, your space, and your place. So... This is pretty simple. Your face welcoming starts with uh, your facial expressions. Do you know those people that uh, if uh, they're just resting, then they look like they're the angriest person in the world? Now, you probably can't help that. You know, you're just your resting facial expression just looks like you're so, you know, downfrogging and, and bitter. Um, but what we can do is begin to have an attitude and disposition of a welcoming spirit that is reflected in our faces. So a smile, a a warm look directly in people's eyes, eye contact, warm eye contact. This, uh, This opens yourself up to providing opportunities for people to come into your life. Uh, I mean, this is pretty simple. This is pretty basic. I don't know if uh, any of you go to uh, Jewel Losco or go shopping or anything like that. Um, but Excuse me, I'm about to <coughs> sneeze. Whew. Um, I don't know if many of you go out shopping, but if you've ever looked around, there are certain people who've got headphones in and they're listening to something or they're looking down at their list. Or uh, whatever it may be, and you know, I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of this. But what they're putting off, what they're communicating is, I don't want to talk to anyone. I am here to get groceries and leave, so do not try to interact with me, right? Well, what I'm saying is, maybe as a first simple step into being welcoming, try not doing that. And begin to, with your face, reflect in your facial expressions a warm and a welcoming attitude. Let's we'll see where that takes you, okay? Uh, so then your space. This is uh, your non-physical environment. It's the non-physical environment around you that includes the impression of openness you express non-verbally to others. It's a safe and caring uh, presence, free of judgment. Um, It's basically um, going from your face to more about your complete body language, the space around you. What are you communicating through that? And then, of course, when we think of hospitality or welcoming, we often think of the place. This This is the physical environment. And we often think of being hospital means inviting people into our homes, which can be true, but you can do this your home, office, car, at work, on train, so on and so forth. Welcoming can be practiced everywhere home, workplace, school, neighborhood. All these places offer opportunities to extend a welcoming attitude, a bridge that begins to create and build this relationship. These are, uh, are simple things that we can begin to do that help us open up our eyes to the opportunities that we have around us to live evangelistically. And if we're always closed off, If we're always sending the message that we don't want to interact, then it makes sense that we don't have opportunities to converse about spiritual things. We need to begin to have this openness in our disposition that communicates that we are welcoming of others from all different kinds of backgrounds and experiences and places. We need to... Begin to practice radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. and Inviting people into our lives in such a way that they can begin to see the inner workings of the gospel in our lives. It's one of our most attractive and wonderful gospel evangelism opportunities. Now, Martin Luther said, the table is a splendid pulpit. And I think as well that the table as a splendid gospel tract as well. So let's begin to practice these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could study your word. Help us as we go into this world this week to be ambassadors, welcoming others that they may come to know your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You sing, Uh, standing to sing with me, all are welcome on the screen.